Welcome to Jerusalem. We're so happy you're able to be with us tonight. And uh, King of Kings here in the house, thank you so much for how you were able to participate over this last week in so many things, not only from the packing of the boxes last Sunday, but also to the global prayer call that we did in the summit and online on Wednesday. And then all of you that had reserved a one-hour block today. Today is the 26th of the month, and on the 26th of every month, we, we scheduled a 24-hour period to pray over Jerusalem and over Israel. So thank you guys for volunteering for that. Um, there's lots of other things happening. Come back and help us pack more of those boxes next week uh, at the same time. And then there's a few adjustments on the announcement uh, video that we'll make, and that is that tonight after the service, Prayer and worship will be in the summit. It's a combination of the afterglow plus the galim young adults, and I understand youth are also invited to that tonight. So, Pastor Mike, you'll send us out tonight and remind us one last time of that. Grab your Bibles. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 55, and we're going to continue in our series that we've been part of called Behind the Scene behind the scene, looking beyond what your eyes can see. And tonight's focal point is going to be the unseen promises, unseen promises. We are thankful, Lord, that you have protected so many of our soldiers during this time. Father, we are thankful that you've let the first two groups of hostages come home. Father, we're thankful that you're going to keep pushing this forward and get the rest of the hostages, all of them would come home, Lord God, and end this war. Bring peace to our region, Lord God, we pray in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. There's just so much on your mind. You know, when you come into a time of, of the community, there's, I've been watching just so many uh, different uh, reports and stories. You know, you have this concept of proportionality. What a joke. Proportionality. Does it sound proportional to have 50 innocent people released for 150 criminals? That doesn't sound, the, the numeric value doesn't even equal, much less the, the state of the person. That doesn't sound proportional to me. But you know what? God, God is going to see past all of that. He's going to work past all of that. God has a history of being able to work past the things we do wrong in our life. Anybody grateful for that, that moment, you know, where God is able to work past all the things we've messed up and the things we've done wrong and the things we've looked at incorrectly. So thank you, Lord, for working past these items. And then you hear other things about, you know, free Palestine, and we agree. Free Palestine from Hamas. Yes, let's do that. You know, it's just, there's just so much uh, inaccuracy out there there's a lot of uneducated people getting in front of a camera and trying to influence this 10-second soundbite generation. Please don't be a 10-second soundbite generation. Be people who know something and do a little research. You can go back in our series. If you want to catch up in our archives, over the first five weeks, we talked about the unseen God. Then we talked about transactional elements then the invisible war. Pastor Wayne talked about the keys to Israel's victory and even connected to my comment, he said, don't forget that numbers count. Numbers count when you're trying to influence a culture. 
There needs to be more voices. There needs to be more prayer. There needs to be more serving, more giving, more courage, boldness to take a stand. And last week, Pastor Mike did a wonderful job in, in presenting. And one of the things that he said was this, that we were given time to invest wisely, not to try and control it. We don't control time, but we do want to invest it wisely. So tonight, we're going to look at the unseen promises. And to all of you that are translating tonight, thank you for your service. I know we translate into several languages. We've got people online watching for over 25 countries right now. The team has told me from Belgium and Norway and uh, Nigeria, Indonesia, all, all parts of the world, Singapore, Taiwan. So thank you for watching tonight. The unseen promises of God. So as we look at the unseen world, we have learned that there is a heavenly army. You got to go back a few weeks to remember that. There are heavenly battles in the spirit realm, and there are realities that we cannot see. God is a covenant-keeping God, but sometimes it can feel like he, he's making promises that are not either coming true or they're taking a very long time to come true. Anybody relate with that one? Anybody? Can I show of hands boldness? Those of you in the room who believe something by faith and it's taken a long time to come forth. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, then maybe you're not a believer in Yeshua yet. I don't know. Maybe we need to do an altar call tonight. Because if you believe in Yeshua and you're walking in faith, then you're going to encounter this, uh, this moment where God has promised you something either in the word, in your quiet time, through a prophet, whatever, and it takes a little bit of time to arrive. But you're not alone. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish that which I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. A word picture, for those of you that are visual learners, it's a word picture that when God says something, the words that come out of his mouth, they become a living organism, and that living organism is not allowed to return to him until it has finished what it was spoken into. It can try like the Lord could say something, it goes out and it can try to do something, come back to him unfulfilled, and he just doesn't receive it. No, turn it around. You didn't finish what I said. Go back and finish it. That's how words relate with God. They can't come back until they're finished doing their job. But the Bible encourages us that even though sometimes and some things may take a while, that God's word will always come true because it doesn't have a choice. It must come true. Everything in the universe exists because of our Father's words. So when he speaks a word, the creation must bow down to that word. There is no other option, even though it may take time. So let's use the example of Abraham. Let's, let's spend a few minutes on our father of faith, Abraham. Abraham was promised his own land. That's the land we're in right now. Abraham was promised that he would be the father of a great nation. 
He was promised that his name would be great in the earth. Abraham was promised that he and his descendants would be the crossroads of blessing for the whole world. Did you know that? That it came down to he and his descendants on whether or not people would be blessed or not blessed. He became the crossroads of blessing for the whole world. If you bless Abraham and his descendants, you will be blessed. If you curse them, you will be cursed. That means he's the crossroads. Abraham has promised that the whole earth will be blessed through him, and we believe that means that he had a revelation that the Messiah would come through him. That's a lot of promises going on from God to Abraham. And we can back up some of those promises by reading the word of God, Genesis chapter 12, one through three. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So there's a lot of promises right there in those few verses. Abraham was promised that he would have a miracle son and that his son and the descendants would inherit this land of Israel. That's another promise. Look at Genesis 12 verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now the promise was starting to take a while to come true. So Abraham began to look for other ways that the promises of a son and descendants could come true. So God said, you're going to have a son. And it took a while. And so Abraham thought, well, maybe I misheard this. Has anybody in the room ever said to themselves, maybe I misheard God? Again, if you didn't raise your hand, you need to come to the altar after. This, but the concept that's happening here is, but you said, and, and, and even though you didn't say when, I inserted into your promise my timetable. What a dangerous thing to do. Friends, please don't ever try to insert your timetable into God's promise. That's not how that works. My wife was doing a devotion this morning and she, she mentioned to me, you know that when Peter was preaching, he gets up and he says, in these last days, More than 2,000 years ago, Peter is talking about last days. Now, we're certainly in the last age before the return of the Messiah. So, if you understand the way I understand that that means the last age, then it fits. But if you try to insert a timetable, then, then you're like Peter. You're like, was he thinking the Messiah was coming back in two weeks? Like, what was going on? Because he says these last days. So, we try not to do that, but Abraham apparently did that. Father, are you going to give me a son? Yes. When will that be? Well, I'm not telling you. Okay, well, it's been a while since we talked about this, and I am feeling like you should have done it already. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to either assume that you need help. I know when you created the son, you didn't need my help, but obviously now you do need my help. Or I'm going to think that maybe I misheard you. 
So one of these two things, and Abraham chose, you need my help. So he, he and Sarah talked, and they came up with this great plan to be with Hagar, someone who was not his wife, wasn't God's given instructions, wasn't God's will, if you're talking about the highest level of God's ideal. So Abraham began to falter a little bit in this, and we see it in some of the language that he even speaks to God about it. Genesis 15, first six verses. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. Uh, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Very important verse when you talk about being people of faith. So it wasn't only that Abram was thinking about the Hagar option. He was also thinking about the Eliezer option. Maybe I misheard. Maybe it's supposed to be Eliezer, my servant. And God said, no, it's not. It's not Eliezer. I'm going to give you a son. Oh, okay. Well, then let's take Eliezer off the table. Then that must be, Hagar must be the, the way we're going to go. And God said, no, no, no. It's the one of your own flesh. It's going to be you and Sarah, the promised child of your covenant marriage. And now he's got to decide, what am I going to do? It's taking so long. This promise is unseen. I can't see it because if I could see it, it would look like a baby boy in my arms but I can't see it. But God promised, you will have a son with Sarah of your own body. It will not be Eliezer. Then Abram was promised that he would live to a ripe old age. I always found it strange that that word was included. Ripe. That sounds like fruit. You know what I mean? Like ripe. Does that mean the rest of us are like underdeveloped. We're not ripe yet. Not until we get older. Then you can become ripe. Genesis 15, 15. You, however, Abraham, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. That's a good promise. So he's got all these promises, land, a son. He'll be a ripe old age. The world will be blessed through him. The Messiah will come through him. And at the moment, he sees none of it. Can you imagine how frustrating? None of it. It's all unseen promises. Now, we know that although all of these things that Abraham was called to in his destiny, he was also called righteous. But he didn't have any of his promises yet. And he was already called righteous. But he wasn't called righteous because of anything he had done. If, if I could take a moment, I can give you Abraham's rap sheet just to make you feel a little bit better. 
Do you remember that when God came back to him a second time and promised a son with Sarah? A lot of people forget that Abraham laughed. It, usually we tell the story of Sarah laughed, but Abraham laughed. Genesis 17, 16 and 17. I will bless her, speaking of Sarah, and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? So as we begin his rap sheet, we remember that when he was promised a son, he didn't immediately jump into faith mode. He jumped into Eliezer mode, then he jumped into Hagar mode, then he jumped into laughing mode. You understand? Like, don't get the wrong picture of Abraham. It took a while, not only for the promises, it took him a while to grab hold of them and say, I believe you. It took a while. But the Bible said it was because he finally arrived at the place of, I believe you, that he was credited as righteous because of that destination that he landed at. I believe you. He had agreed to be with Hagar. That's on his rap sheet. But let's also not forget that he had lied about his wife. Right? They were, they were in Egypt dealing with Pharaoh, and he was like, oh, she's pretty. And he was like, oh, I'm a little scared that you said that. Uh, that's my sister. You know? And then Abraham and Sarah went for a lovely romantic dinner after that. No, I added that part. They did not. My guess is he says to Pharaoh, that's my sister, you can have her. And then when they got back together, she was like, we need to go see Dr. Catherine. There needs to be a little counseling after what just happened here. What, what happened? What just went down? This is on Abraham's rap sheet. So what I'm saying is this. God did not call him righteous because he had done so many great things. And I could build you a longer sheet. He was called righteous because even though he fought through his own humanity, he arrived at the location and destiny of, I believe your words, God. And then he was credited as righteous. Now, this does not mean, please hear me, that we should not live a holy life. We should, in fact, live a holy life. My little story, in Abraham's story, doesn't mean that you should disregard the scriptures or disregard pursuing obedience of the Lord. It doesn't mean that. You should absolutely pursue obedience of the word, being led by the Holy Spirit for application in your life, living a holy life unto the Lord. You should absolutely pursue those things. But none of those things make you righteous. When you believe God's word is true, then you are proclaimed righteous. And that includes when God says, I'm coming to pay the price for your sin and I'm gonna die for you and I'm gonna raise from the dead to defeat hell and death. In that, you need to believe. And when you say, I believe you did that for me, you've become righteous. Not based on deeds, but based on faith. So what is faith then? 
from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and it's the assurance about what we do not see. Ah, the unseen promises. You actually cannot even have faith if you can see it. Like, oh, man, you really undercut my faith. Faith doesn't even exist if you can see the thing. So in the very definition to be people of faith means you can't see most of the things you're supposed to have faith in. That's the very basic definition of it. It's like trying to have love without the object of love. You have to love something, someone. The love has to come out of you and go somewhere. And that's one of the beautiful things about the Hebrew language. It's got this little weird word in it called et. And it makes sure that you define the action to the receiver. So you can't just love in Hebrew. You have to love someone, love something. It has to have a placement. It has to land somewhere, right? And faith is the same way. You have to have faith in something. And what do you have faith in? You have faith in what God has said. That's where faith lands. Abraham had confidence or faith that whatever God said would eventually happen. And in fact, it did happen. This does not mean it was easy path for him. It does not mean it was a quick path for him. It may not be an easy path for you or I. It's certainly many times not a quick path. And yet righteousness is still there as long as we're able to grasp the concept of believing God's words to see these unseen promises. So let's use a couple of other examples. We used Abraham for a while. We massaged his stories. Let's look at some other areas. You know, Moses was told that he would become the leader of a Jewish nation and he would take and lead the Jewish people out of Egypt and bring them into the land of promise and that the Jewish people would be free and they would prosper in their good land. These are all of the promises that Moses had to deal with. But you know that they had to go through the plagues. And my guess is in the middle of the plagues, he wasn't going, yep, I'm feeling full of faith today. I'm feeling strong about it. I'm feeling good about it. And then after the Passover, they had to go through the Passover and all those people dying. Nope, feel good about it today. Feel real good. It's going to happen. And then they're out in the desert and they get, stuck, they get stuck by the Red Sea and they can see Pharaoh's army. That might not have been the moment he was like, I'm full of faith, guys. I'm feeling it today. Like, it's really bubbling up in me, full of faith. Those might not have been the moments. But he stayed the course. He brought the people to the edge. And of course, they went into the promised land. Ah, did they go right away? No. 40 years in the desert. How many times do you think Moses thought about the promise for 40 years? One more circle. Man, I'm pretty sure we've seen that mountain before. Like, Joshua, are you not making a map of this? Because we keep coming back. Put a mark on it or something. X, we've been here. Let's not go this way. You know, King David was proclaimed by the prophet Samuel to be the future king of Israel. And he was 
proclaimed and anointed with oil when he was quite young, actually. Some believe 14 or 15 years old as a shepherd boy. But do you know he did not even become the king of Judah for 15 more years? And then he didn't become the king of the United Kingdom of Israel for seven more years after that. It was 23 years. How many times did David have to deal with stuff? His brothers, Saul, Goliath, the Philistines, whoever. Whoever didn't like him that day. Somebody cut him off, cut his chariot off in traffic. He was like, you know what? Mm, I'm going to be the king of Israel. And I'm coming back. I'm taking notes. I got your license plate number on that chariot. I'm coming back. I'm going to deal with you when I'm the king. And he probably wasn't thinking 23 years later. He was probably thinking, you know, okay, I'm 15. I'm a little young. 18. 18, I'm going to be king. 20, 21, because I got to be able to drink. I got to be able to drink wine. So 21, I'm going to be the king. 23 years later. Sometimes the promises, they take a while. They take a long time. They're out there. You can't see them, but they're there. They're behind the scene. God is prepping everything you need for that promise in his timing. Be careful. Do not try to insert your timetable into God's promises. Zechariah was told that he was going to have a son with his older wife, Elizabeth. And then they had to go through the miracle story of Yochanan, John, being born to Zechariah. Luke 1.13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Then Miriam was told by an angel that she would have Yeshua. Ha! Huh. Even harder. Miriam, you're going to have a, you're going to have a son. Great. I have a fiance. That sounds great. Let's do that. No, that's not how this is going to go down. What's going to happen? is you're going to have a son, but you're not going to be married yet, and you're not going to sleep with your husband. Say that again. Give me one more pass through of that. Okay, not married yet. You won't be with your husband. It'll be super. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to have basically God inside of you. It's going to work out great. You're going to like it. She's thinking, What? She goes and talks to Joseph. Joseph's first instinct is like, I got to go. Like, I, that's a weird story. I think I need to go. I think according to the law, I have every right to leave. And it takes an angel coming to him and going, listen, you're right. It's, it's a strange story. I'm going to need you to stay. Go on back. Go talk to Miriam. Come on. She's a little kid. She's like, 14, 15, however old she is. She's young, right? We all know she's very young, right? Go talk to her. She leaves city. She goes somewhere else. She's, her mind is spinning. She's like, I need, I need bearings. I don't know. Is he marrying me? I don't know. I'm pregnant. I don't even know how that happened. God, I met an angel twice. I don't, I'm just, my head is spinning. There's promises I don't understand. I need someone I can trust. I need to go to Elizabeth. So she goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's like, don't bring it over here. We got weird stuff happening over here, too. You know, you walked in the room. I'm, I got a kick in my belly, and then my husband can't talk. And it's, I mean, it's so much going on. 
They're like, what should we do? Call Dr. Catherine. Maybe she knows the answers. We'll get some counseling, all of us together. Just, you know, Abraham and Sarah did it. We need to, let's connect. But some of this needs to hit home with us. You know, when we were making Aliyah, my wife and I, Rebecca, making Aliyah, many of you that have become citizens of Israel, you know it's a long process. It's a long process from the moment God tells you, it's time to move to Israel, start the process, you'll become a citizen. That's a long process. It doesn't happen overnight. Lawyers, letters, fight. You know how it works. But the Lord had had given me a promise. And the Lord had said, if you will stop pastoring where you're pastoring in the United States, and it was going great. I'm gonna need you to put that down. I'm gonna move you guys to Israel. They got something special for you there. And as we were praying about it, I was like, Lord, I, I just, I'm gonna need, whew, that's a big move. I'm like, Lord, you know, like in Israel at Rami Levy, they don't have lines. They don't take numbers. Like, you know that. Lord, you know there's no parking spaces ever, anywhere. People park on curbs, on fences, and like, you know that. Are you sure this is the calling you have for me? You don't know from one week to the next what will or will not be in the grocery store. If you're new to Israel, lesson number one. Do not get dogmatic about what brand you need. It will not be here next week. Lesson number two, if you're picky about your car, getting dinged in the door, you need to get rid of that. That's fleshly. You need to get rid of that. That's a sinful thought that you want to protect your car. It, they don't care about your car. That means cars or buses. Buses, they don't care that you're on the road. I'm just catching you up. These are things we had to learn. This is me and God talking about Aliyah. And he says, listen, I'm going to give you a sign. Okay. So when, there was two signs. When we came to Israel to put in our paperwork, we got pregnant in Israel. Praise God. We already had two children at the time. This was going to be child number three. And then we fought the battles with the Israeli government, the Ministry of Interior, and the lawyers, and everything like that. And we were like, why is this taking so long for your promise to come forth, God? Why haven't we been given the call to become citizens yet. You promised. And you know, one morning, when my in-laws were at our house in the United States visiting us, I got a call from the Ministry of Interior and said, congratulations, Mr. Holland. You and your family are now citizens of Israel. Wow, praise the Lord, that's great. And then my wife went into labor. That was important for me. Because I felt like Two promises of God came on the same day just for God to say, hey, if you didn't catch it, I was doing that. Double emphasis. But then he told me the second promise was that when you move to Israel, you will have another child in Israel. And that child will be born an Israeli citizen. So we moved to Israel. We got settled. King of Kings, you guys have been walking with us. And we got pregnant in Israel. And we thought, God is just so good. His promises 
And then we lost that baby. So we tried again. We got pregnant again. And we lost that baby. So we tried again. Got pregnant again. And we lost that baby. And at that point, me and Rebecca had to just kind of sit down and go, what is going on? God has always fulfilled his promises. Why this time? What is going on? So we took a little time away from that, and then we had one last conversation. And I said to her, I believe this is the promise of God. Not just natural. This is a supernatural word that I got for us. If you will give me one more shot, I think God is going to do this. And I'll be honest, in her heart, I think, honey, you were done. She was done. She was like, hey, the factory shut down. It's over. We're not having any more babies. And I said, yes, but God said I mean, that's, that's Abraham's conversation with Sarah. Sarah, you're going to have a child. Huh. I'm not. I'm like 90. I'm like, you're a good-looking 90, Sarah. You're going to have a child. And she's going, There's, I'm not. I'm, there, I, I'm telling you right now. I don't feel it. And Abraham is saying, but God said. And Moses is in the wilderness trying to convince the children of Israel, we are going to the promised land. And they're like, I don't even know where it is. We're lost forever. Yeah, but, but, but God said. David being attacked by the Philistines at the point of death and having to remember in his mind, I'm supposed to be the king. I can't die today because God said. So I had this conversation, conversation with Rebecca and I said, but God said. And she got pregnant again and we made her stay in bed the entire time. We did fetal monitors. I prayed over that child so much. And then what was so fun was that we got to have that fourth child with you. If y'all remember, several years ago, she's six years old. She had a birthday this week, by the way. She's six years old now. God's word came true. He's always faithful. I was supposed to preach that night. It was a Sunday night. She goes into labor. So we go to the hospital. Wayne, did you fill in for me that night? Do you remember? Mike, you filled in for me that night? Thank you, brother. I was busy. I couldn't remember. So here we are. We're laboring. You know, she's laboring. I'm, I'm, I'm getting food. I'm, do, you know, I'm doing massages. I'm doing the things. And, and she has the baby. And she has the baby before the service was over. So I talked to Ula you texted me and I said, yep, the baby's here, healthy baby girl. And then you announced it from the stage that we had just had that baby before the service was over. These lessons need to make it into your life. They don't need to make it into a sermon in an archive on our website. They need to make it into your life. Sometimes we might do things that we think might knock us off course. That's a good way to say it. And you might ask the question, can you knock God's will off course? Well, let's do a quick lesson. There is such thing as the macro level will of God and you can't touch it. 
And then there's the micro level will of God, something you have influence in. That's where your free will exists. But the macro will of God can never be changed. If he wants to create the universe, he does. He doesn't ask me. If he wants to have the Messiah come, the Messiah comes. If he wants the Messiah to return and he wants the heaven and earth to pass away, you can't stop that train. Doesn't matter what you do. That's the macro level will of God. But the micro level will of God, you have impact on because he gives you free will to participate in it. I'll give you some examples. You can't necessarily stop the macro level will of God, but do you know that sometimes you can delay it by your own actions? I want you to get this tonight. This may be an important lesson as our last uh, main section tonight. Sometimes it is not that we alter the fulfillment of God's promises, but sometimes we delay its fulfillment by our own unfaithful actions. You remember the 12 spies that went into the land of Israel? You know Israel was supposed to come out of Egypt and go straight to Israel, right? That was the... But the actions of the unfaithful 10 made them stay in the wilderness for 40 years. It never stopped the macro level, but it impacted the micro level, will of God. They still ended up in the land, but it cost them 40 years. What you do impacts God's will in your life. How about when God told the children of Israel, go in, take the land, I'll be with you, you'll be victorious, and they go in, and they go to Ai, and they lose. I think it was like their second battle. They lose, and that doesn't fit the promise, except for the fact that the macro level was you're going to win. The micro level, Will, was you got idols in the camp, and you're going to lose until you get rid of those. Your actions can delay God's will and his promises coming to fruition in your life. What about Jonah's disobedience? Jonah didn't stop the, the, the good news of God getting to Nineveh, but he delayed it by his own action, and God put him in the belly of the fish. Jonah chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to them, the message I've given you. It was never going to happen that Nineveh was not going to hear the word. It wasn't going to happen. Why? Because God had already said, go tell them my word. Jonah delayed it through disobedience, but he never changed it. He only delayed it. Unseen promises exist in our own life. And if you feel like God has given you a promise and it's being delayed, my first response to you is go check your walk with the Lord and make sure you're not delaying your own promise. Because we as humanity seem to have a pattern of unfaithfulness that we are delaying our own promise. And then we get mad at God. You imagine Jonah in the belly of the fish, mad at God? Yeah, but Jonah, you did that. Or the children of Israel for 40 years mad at God? Yeah, but guys, you did that. Like, he didn't do it, you did it. So the first step we have to do in those moments of we feel like the promise is unseen and it's taking too long, it's being delayed, is check yourself. What's going on in your heart, in your relationship with God? You know, I've often wondered whether Abraham would have had a child much earlier if he had followed God's word and not listened to Sarah's advice and not slept with Hagar and not had Ishmael, I've often wondered if he would have had that child earlier. 
but his own action of unfaithfulness might have in fact led to the extension of time until Isaac was actually born. I've wondered that if after this choice that he made, how important it was to God that Isaac and Ishmael had plenty of distance between their years past the bar mitzvah age so that there would be less conflict and competition between the boys. Do you understand what I mean? Like if, if Ishmael was like five and Isaac was four, we got a problem. They're going to fight all the time. And it's almost like when Abraham made his choice to be with Hagar, as soon as Ishmael was born, God said, well, now I got to wait 13 years. But that's something you did. I didn't do that. I didn't tell you to do that. That's on you, Abraham. Now, the macro level will of God was never going to be touched. Isaac was going to be the child of promise from Sarah. But the macro level will of God, Abraham impacted its timing. And God had to delay it to separate the boys in age. Melissa, you can come. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 15. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now you have to look at that word patiently. And how was that word meant? I don't know how patient he was. He tried a couple of other things on his own until he realized that's not the way to go. I'm going to believe God's word. And once he came to that moment, he was proclaimed righteous and he was able to unlock God's promises in his life. Abraham believed what God said. He did not make up his own promises. So let me give you the key phrase of the night and then we're closing. Faith can only exist when God has spoken. And when the thing that God has spoken cannot yet be seen. Those are the two conditions for faith to genuinely exist as believers. Number one, it cannot be something you have said or something you have hoped for or something that you have wanted or something that you have promised yourself. That's not faith. Faith can only exist if God has promised it, then you can have faith in it. Faith has to have an object to land on, and what it lands on is what God has said, not what you want. So be careful in your theological understanding that just because you want something doesn't mean that's faith. That's called want. Just because you hope for something doesn't mean you're going to get it. That's called hope. It's good. Have hope. Doesn't mean you're going to get it. Not until God says it will happen is that the environment where faith can exist. And then secondly, if you can see it, it's not faith. God tells you ahead of time that it's coming. You say, yes, I believe you, even though I cannot see the promise yet. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let's stand and pray over this tonight. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on forward as well. Guys, we can have prayer for anything tonight in your life that you need prayer for, healing, restoration, whatever it may be, hope, more faith. But I especially want people to come down tonight and receive prayer 
if you've had a promise from God that seems to be taking a while to come forward. Guys online, send us your testimonies as well. Let's pray. Father, we believe you. We believe your word. We believe your word doesn't even need changing. We just believe that when you speak it over our lives, it cannot return to you until that has been fulfilled. Thank you for these stories. Thank you for the patriarchs and the matriarchs, Lord, who weren't perfect. And yet somehow they, they battled through their own flesh and unbelief and they landed on believing your word. It gives us encouragement today that we can battle through our flesh and we can still land on the destination of we believe you. I pray for those that are holding on to promises tonight. Promises of future children. Promises of future spouses. Promises of, of a future career or a job or a home or a friendship or a restoration or a healing physically, emotionally, mentally. Anyone that's holding on to a promise tonight, Lord, let it be a night of encouragement for them. Help us to stay away from inserting our own timetable into your promises. We believe you. We believe you want to do good things and you want to give good things to your children because you're a loving, giving father. And that's where we stand today. We believe you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's worship into that.